Welcome to Video Store. My name is Sam Mulberry. Today we are talking about the 1979 Best Picture Kramer versus Kramer. So let's step into Barrett Fisher's Video Store. Barrett, how you doing? Doing great. Uh, Barrett, uh, since this is a movie from 1979, I'm curious with your history with this film. Is this, I mean, this was the hit of 1979. Is this a movie you saw in the theaters? Yeah, I most certainly did. <laughs> Um, what do you remember about seeing this movie in 1979? I part ask that because one of the things that I think is going to be a theme of this, uh, partially at least coming from me of this conversation, is watching this film in 79 versus watching this film in 2023. So I, I want to start with the 1979 of it. Yeah, you know, obviously, as, as we'll discuss, the film engages a lot of issues that are kind of on the cutting edge for 79. I think I think the impression I came away with I would have been a um, would have been a senior uh, a senior in college and um, I guess to me I was impressed by the film in the sense that it was uh, it seemed to be engaging issues in a way that a lot of Hollywood films I had seen up to that time especially if you think about what was going on in the the late seventies with the the rise of Star Wars films disaster films. Um, uh, disco films. It seemed to me that it was a, a film for adults uh, that really engaged some serious issues that I didn't see a lot of other Hollywood films doing. Now, it's also the same year, of course, as Apocalypse Now. Uh, the year before, we had The Deer Hunter, which also had Meryl Streep in it. So it's not as though there weren't serious subjects being engaged. But I thought that the way that this dealt with um, some really uh, important domestic issues. Uh, it's kind of the, the crest of the women's movement. So I, I, I was just impressed by that element of the film. Um, and again, we'll get into this, but on first blush, did you have different feelings about this film in 2023? Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I mean the, the, sa the same sense of, of admiration, if you will, for the film and engaging topics, but but also a sense that um, uh, there were some inadequacies in the way that it dealt with it. We can talk about that when we talk about the ending of the film. And especially if I put it in um, dialogue with a separation, uh, which we watched last week, uh, I think there are certain ways in which this film is, um, I hesitate to use this word formulaic because I think that's unkind to a good screenplay, but there is a kind of Hollywood formula at work in this film that I think I didn't see in 1979. In, in, in 1979, it looked a lot more like realism. Uh, 2023, it looks a lot more to me like a kind of um, neat aesthetic uh, accounting of a very messy situation. And, and, and the reason I'm asking that, and I'm going to make my own statement here, because uh, we're going to, I think, talk about some things in this movie that are like kind of problems sometimes. But I want to, from the jump, say, this is a really good movie and this is maybe a great movie and it's extremely well acted. If nothing, if, if nothing else, probably there, there are four nominated performances in this movie and they're all unbelievably well-deserved. Um, so, so I, I just want to say that because there are going to be moments where I'm going to say, here's my problem with this movie, but it's, I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I'm actually saying it's kind of great. It's just there, there are things that I think, uh, as you look at this in different time periods, you there's things that we're more likely in 2023 to bring up and say, but it, this is sort of strange that I, that, and, and, and because I was two years old in 1979, like I don't have the 1979 perspective of it, nor had I seen this um, until now. So I want to get into a little bit of how unique this movie is. I know we don't talk a lot about box office on this, but this movie deserves a, a little bit of mention of this because this is the number one movie at the box office in 1979, which is deeply strange on a, on a number of accounts or, or, or deeply unique. So here are the top 10 movies from, uh, from 1979 and notice how Kramer versus Kramer stands up here. Uh, Number one is Kramer versus Kramer made $106 million. Now that's interesting because 1975 is the first time a film makes a hundred million dollars uh, domestically. In 1979, this movie made a hundred million dollars, which is, I mean, Jaws mm. in 1975 and this are very different films, yes. right? So, but then if you look at the other films at the box office, it's not like there weren't to your point, blockbuster films coming out. I mean, you have, um, the Amityville Horror, which is the beginning of a franchise, Rocky II, which is a franchise movie, Apocalypse Now, 
um, Star Trek, the motion picture, the beginning of a franchise, Alien, the beginning of a franchise, 10, the jerk, Moonraker, a James Bond movie, and the Muppet movie, a beginning of a franchise. So it's not like the box office, like if you look at the movies in general, like, oh, it was really different back then. It's like, actually, there's a lot of sequels and the beginnings of franchises here. But this movie connected with people in 1979. One other thing that that, that I'll say here, um, if you uh if you take 106 million dollars and uh you know add inflation into that so what does that mean in today's money because I, I was talking to my wife about this and she's like i don't know what 106 million dollars means it would be 465 million dollars in today's money adjusted for inflation that would make it the number three movie of 2023 so ahead of it would be barbie and super mario brothers but this movie would have made more money than the uh uh, uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, and Oppenheimer. This would have beat Oppenheimer by $100 million in today's money. That's in, that's just stunning to me. That is remarkable, Sam. And I have to say, it isn't something I... That's not an element of the movie I remembered. I didn't remember that it was a big hit like that. that that's really something. Uh, that list also tells me I spent a lot of time in the movies. Uh, <laughs> since I saw most of those in the theater. Um, so it's interesting to say what resonated with people in 1979 with this movie, because, uh, okay, I, I said I was going to do one bot, one box office. I'm going to do one more. So he, from 1975 to 1983, he, so four years before this movie, four years after this movie, here's the number one films at the box office. Notice how one movie stands out like a sore thumb. Jaws, Rocky, Star Wars, Grease, Kramer versus Kramer. The Empire Strikes Back, Raiders of the Lost Ark, E.T., and Return of the Jedi. <laughs> what happened in 1979 that made like 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 and I, I really I really am want to think about this. Like, what is it that made this the movie phenomenon? Because it's not only the top movie, it beats the number two movie by uh by $20 million. So it's actually by a, a fairly big margin, the number one movie. Why were people drawn to this at that time? Well, I, I, okay, I, I'm gonna. I, I think there's a couple things. One is, um, I don't know where Dustin Hoffman ranked at the time in terms of uh, big earners in Hollywood, but you know he'd come off some pretty big films. He had uh, previous films in before Kramer versus Kramer. He had done All the President's Men, uh, Marathon Man, uh, uh, Going Straight. I can't remember exactly the name of it, but anyway, so Hoffman was he was. Pretty big box office at the time, so I think that's that's something to keep in mind. But I, I I think I think it's a combination of the fact that the movie was scratching where people itched in terms of those issues, those various issues that it in, engages. But I think most importantly, it was a it was a well written, well directed film. I kind of want to go back to that. I'm going to go back to what you said earlier, Sam. Uh, I didn't I didn't mean to demean the film by comparison of separation, but what I want to say is for a Hollywood film of 1979, it's really, really good. And so I think people I think people weren't interested in just an issue movie. You know, for example, if you want to take another sort of contemporary issue movie uh, the year after that, uh, Ordinary People, uh, which was highly regarded. I don't know what the box office numbers on Ordinary People were, but I doubt it's quite the same as this film. So I, th I think it's I think it's the the fact that people knew this film was serious but also and i said the same thing about a separation also tremendously entertaining mm -hmm. i mean it's 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 a great movie to watch it's got so many elements the way it's structured the the the, the dramatic arc the performances even the music i mean the film got a lot of attention for its use of classical music um i just think all those elements came together uh, in this film in a way that it didn't in other similarly seriously themed films Absolutely. And I did a little bit of, of, of looking at this. Uh, I was looking at divorce rates in the U.S. because I was sort of curious, like, where does this fall in that? And interestingly, um, if you look at divorce rates from 1960 to 2020, they hit their peak in 1980. So it's also like 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 it, it is a, from 60 to 80. It is a steady, sh pretty sharp incline and then a slow decline to 2020. So 2020 is was back around 1970 numbers, oh. but not, uh, right around 79, 80, it's at a peak. So it's also something 
definitely like uh, on people's mind. I'm sure there are news stories about raising divorce rates and all of these things. Um, you know, now the other thing that's interesting about this movie um, is that this, and, and I, I, I do not fit into this category, but for people of my generation, for Gen Xers, this is a seminal child of divorce movie. So people mm-hmm. who were children in those marriages that were ending in the late seventies, this becomes a hallmark for, for those children as they're growing up because they see themselves in this movie. They're watching this movie through the lens of Billy. Mm. Um, and uh, there's a really good uh, episode of the Rewatchables podcast from February of 2022, um, where they go back and look at this movie and the three people hosting it and having the conversation are all themselves Gen X children of divorce. And that I got to say that actually made me think about this movie in a different way because this movie is not through Billy's point of view in the way that a separation is sort of Terma's story. And you realize at the end, you're kind of looking at this through her point of view. But for if you're a child in that situation, at least for these folks, they were like, this is, this is my entry point character. And I'm seeing myself as a young child um, reflected on the screen. Well, Hoffman himself was going through a divorce at the time that he made the film. Um, and um, of course, Hoffman, being one of the classic uh, method actors, uh, certainly used that to his advantage. But it's one of the reasons why he was re- he was reluctant to take the fi- to take the film at first because um, he had sort of soured on film acting. But I really uh, suspect that a lot of his own personal energy got channeled into that performance. And I would say generationally, I think it's also this would also account for this the success and popularity of this movie um it's also another baby boomer guidepost movie this this movie's often linked with another dustin hoffman film from 1967 the graduate right if the graduate is talking about baby boomers as they're leaving college entering into adulthood this is another kind of cultural life guidepost for them um and and so that that's another argument that gets made to say well this is why this movie also also (laughs) hit is so for both the 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 children of divorce, but also the, the 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 baby boomers. This is hitting them right in this moment. So it's also, you know, oddly, it's weird to say a really well timed movie, you know, to come out. But I, but it kind of is for for where where sort of things are in that uh, in the the larger culture. So yeah, maybe this is uh, this is Benjamin uh, twelve years later, right after. Well, people have made after. arguments like that. Yeah, 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 that this is this is a check in almost yeah. in a in a <laughs> uh, an up series sort of way, you know. Um, so I want to, uh, Robert Benton is somebody we have encountered before. He is the screenwriter, one of the screenwriters of Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. Uh, and he it, both writes and directs this movie, uh, wins Oscars for, uh, for both of them. Um, and, uh, this is a, I think this is a really, like you said, a, a, a well-written script and, a, and interestingly, a well-directed movie because it, it's a lot of people talking, like there's not a lot of, um, in some ways it's hard to it's hard to do like bravuro filmmaking in this in a movie like this but it does have its moments even in terms of direction i think like the the shot of um of uh ted running with billy to the the uh, emergency room where it's this long this long shot of him running and the, the camera's tracking with him um through the streets like that's a that's one of those moments that sort of takes your breath away a little bit because the movie hasn't been able to do stuff like that because it's mostly sitting in rooms talking that shot was pretty stunning to me yeah and actually one of its nine oscar nominations was in fact for editing uh and so it is a very well edited film and of course it's it, it's it's wins as you alluded to earlier uh sam were for best picture best director best actor uh best supporting actress both meryl streep and jane alexander got nominated and meryl streep got it uh, and then a bit, and then the best adapted screenplay. So yeah, there's a lot going on here that uh, that really indicates the quality of the direction. Mm-hmm. And so the the story has three pretty distinct acts to it. Again, I'm I, I've said before I'm not good at always picking out the structure of a movie, but this one this one is pretty pretty easy to see. There's a short act at the beginning, which is Joanna mm-hmm. leaving. Yeah, there is the bulk of the movie, the the mid section of this movie. Um, which is the the most like uh, uh, you said? This is an entertaining movie. This is a very entertaining the 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 second act of this movie of Ted and Billy kind of figuring out life on their own. Uh, it is it is hard, but it's also kind of fun to to watch them do this and to watch 
to watch them figure it out. And there's, you know, I want to talk about kind of how this story is told. And then the third act really is the courtroom battle, which is 18 months later. Um, so there are sort of three clear, distinct moments of this, but within this structure, and this is what I really liked about this movie. And this is getting back to what you were saying about editing is that this is a story that is constructed around moments. Sometimes you will see a scene or a moment and it's not connected to anything else. So mm. for, I mean, for example, um, the Halloween pageant scene, you mm. don't see anything leading up to that to be like, Oh, Billy's going to be in a Halloween pageant. There's no drama around. Does he know his lines? There's no fallout from the Halloween pageant. It's just a moment to give you an insight. It doesn't even really move the plot forward other than it gives you an insight into where they're at in their relationship and what it's telling you about where Ted's at in life and where he's at with his relationship with Billy. And the movie is structured around those moments, which push the plot forward sometimes. I think push the relational development and personal development. Um, but I, but I love that the, it doesn't feel like we are on a tr like a linear track where this happened, so this needs to happen. So And there, those things are happening in a larger sense, but in the moment... You sometimes don't know, is this scene going to be a, a 20 second scene or is it going to be a three minute scene? Like when it starts, because it's because you're not given there's nothing to establish. There's no establishing shots or setups to a lot of those. And I really like that because then it allows echoes to mo or excuse me, moments to echo throughout the movie, too. Yeah, I, I think one of the one of the ways in which that works is that um, kind of back to this idea that the, the movie is following a certain formula. Um, you know, because you you know, right? You you know that this is going to be about. I think you know. Um, it's not just as I saw the film before, but but it's going to be about um, Ted and Billy developing this this relationship. So there's a sense in which you know that the arc is predetermined, um, but how you navigate that arc is kind of what you were pointing out, Sam. It's it's. You know, a more conventional way would have been to show, yes, to show um, Ted and Billy, you know, re re rehearsing the lines for the Halloween pageant uh, to have some something between them happening afterwards. But what the film does is it creates um, maybe you call it a series of ellipses, right, where you just kind of you keep dropping in at various moments in the relationship. And then he makes the audience do the, a little bit of work. To think, oh, so what's happened since since this scene? Like I think about how their um, their little banter changes as they go to school. You know, those those are the, those recurring moments, and and you and and you discover, oh, I see. Ted is actually growing into being a parent. Like that that's that scene where he says something to Billy about, you know, didn't we agree you were going to wash your hair? you know, two times a week or whatever. And if you don't keep up with that agreement, so you see, oh, I see. So they've had this this father-son, this parent talk, but which Benton didn't feel like he needed to show us. It was more important to show us the, the after effect of it. So I think it's very, the film is very resourceful, as you're saying, in the way that it drops you into those moments, makes you do a little bit of work to figure out how you get there. And in some ways makes, makes I don't know how this is exactly, how this exactly works, but it makes the arc to me seem um, more, more realistic and less kind of um, formulaic. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And um, what I don't know is, and then maybe you know this, like how much of that is the screenplay and how much of that is in the edit? Because reading about this film, it seems like a lot of the, a lot of the scenes, but especially the Billy and Ted scenes are improvised yes. where you have Hoffman doing his method thing and, and uh, Justin Henry, who is, amazing in this he's i think he's eight years old when they film this and he is amazing as a child in this movie one of the best child performances i've seen sure. um and i just wonder like how much did they just create moments and this was found in the edit or how much was there <laughs> like i would love to see the the uh, original shooting script for this like like what was there versus what they what they made and did and was this found in the edit so i didn't realize that this won the editing oscar but that makes a lot of sense to me well, no, it, it was nominated. Oh, excuse me, nominated. It, it was yes. no, nominated. Um, yeah, so the, probably the most famous uh, improvised uh, scene is the ice cream fight. Um, and, and actually, Benton offered uh, Hoffman uh, uh, shared credit on the screenplay, 
which Hoffman turned down. But that, but that, that's a that's a scene I particularly love because that really captures the dynamic of what's going on in their relationship, right? Because they scream at each other, you know. I uh, uh, he says I hate you, and you know, and, and Ted says I, I I hate you back, and then the scene ends with I love you, mm-hmm. and it, it it just it it captures so well, right? I mean, there are moments here as a child, right? Where you feel, I really hate these people, what they're doing to me. And there's moments as a parent where you really think, oh, I just can't stand this kid anymore. And that scene manages to do that that full arc because what you know what's going on is beneath the surface is this sadness over the mother not being there. Um, you know, Ted's still feeling am I adequate as a, as a parent. So there's all these emotions that are being... Um, submerged and yet expressed with I hate you I love you and I I just so I think that just works brilliantly yeah I think that scene in particular was was a highlight of me highlight for me in terms of um kind of naturalism like like there is a moment of and again Hoffman can be problematic with his method stuff and and we might get into that but like but in that moment like he and he complete I I view that view that so much through the lens of a parent like I remember when my kids were little, the moments of frustration where they're like, you do not understand all of the things that I am doing to make this work. And I'm asking so little of you and you're going to, you're going to push right up against that. And what he, like, you can tell he has more, his temper has more that it wants to do than he does. Mm-hmm. And he picks him up and then he kind of throws him on the bed. Now he throws him on a bed, which is a much safer place to throw a child. I'm not saying you should throw a child, but I mean, it's, you know, it's not like he throws him against the wall. And then he says something he knows he shouldn't say to him like that, that. So those two things are transgressions, things where it's like, you really shouldn't do those things. And then you have that scene later that night where he comes back in and they, they kind of, you know, they, 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 in, in the way you can with a six or seven year old, they talk it out and sort of checking in to make sure like we're okay. Right. Like this, like that felt so real. Um, and, 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 and so much of that is, is the performance of it too, that it's like, wow, I, I remember having that, that feeling with, um, with my kids when they were really little of like, I, I you just don't understand the meaning of what you're doing right now and where I am at right now. Um, that was that that's a pretty powerful moment yeah and it's also a really pivotal scene in terms of both of them expressing exactly what's going on right billy has that classic uh fear of the child of divorce that he's the reason that uh that the mother left and you know and, and so much of this film is about uh people trying to love and feeling inadequate in their efforts to love and trying to trying to understand other people so you know billy expressed the sense that she left because of me and it's it's really pivotal for ted because it's really the first time i think that you see ted actually saying um no she really left left because of me she stayed as long as she could um and she tried to make me happy but underneath she was she was very sad and to me, what's interesting about that is it's another check-in on Ted's arc because Ted's initial response when Joanne leaves is, is to say to, to, uh, to Margaret, um, can't you see what she's done to me? Mm-hmm. And he is now beginning to, re- to recognize, realize what he's done, he's done to her. So it's a, ver- it's a very complex scene emotionally, right? Because it enables, it enables, um, the, the, it enables the, the characters to hit all of those different complex notes that kind of encompass the entire situation. Absolutely. Well, it's interesting you say that the, like kind of where he's at in his arc with her, because there's one really small moment um, in, in, in what is probably one of the more famous scenes of this movie, which is the, the first, the first breakfast scene where, where, where he gets him up and, um, or, and, and they, they make French toast and there, and, um, and this is, there, there are three, Throughout the, this sort of elliptical movie, there are three breakfasts, and they're yes, all yes. really, really interesting. So maybe we can talk about breakfast right now. But in the scene where they're making the French toast the first time, um, for one thing, you have Ted, like, totally out of his element, but speaking with way too much confidence. Like, I love when he's <laughs> like, you know, all the best chefs in the world are men. It's like he's trying to convince himself, like, you know, of, of this stuff. But there's the moment when he touches the pan. Mm-hmm. And I think what he says is, damn her. 
Yeah. He says something about her, which is yeah. like, oh, okay. Like it's 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 this weird little moment of a break where he's trying to hold it together. And yeah. even in front of Billy, it's kind of the one time where where he's not saying it to him, but he is exclaiming it out loud. It's like she created this moment where we're a mess. I burn myself. Like all this stuff is happening, and it this is her fault. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of the one moment he really, really expresses that. Um, there's a couple other there, there's a couple other moments, but 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 that was such a um such a such such a powerful moment um and then we get the 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 second breakfast um mm-hmm. where what we see is they've sort of fallen into this pattern yeah. and it's this it's a well, it's maybe one of my favorite scenes it's a wordless scene where they both get up and go to the bathroom neither of them shut the door like like there is it's just like we are these are they're almost like roommates at this point yeah, right yeah. they're both sitting in their underwear and Billy sets the table, brings out the donuts, and Ted's reading the paper, and Billy's reading his comics, and it's just like, okay, they this that that's such a such a great moment of like we have kind of figured out a life together, and it and that actually feels very roommate. I remember living with people where you reach the point where you're like, all right, we're kind of on each other's patterns and wavelengths now. Right, and then of course you get the third breakfast scene, which goes back to the making of the French toast. And now, of course, it's being done. It's being it's being done expertly. So, yeah, I, I I really I really love those those three kind of check in points that sort of um, yeah they 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 express every everything about how the relationship has changed. And I love the image of them as roommates. And the first two times, uh, the repetition is you get Billy waking up in bed and the sound of the garbage truck, right? Mm-hmm. He, he gets up and so it's just it's just yeah he rings the changes on that beautifully now what i love about the the fact that this is is built around moments is as i rewatch this it would be fun to go through uh and i kind of did this little bit as like every every time you get a moment is like why did benton put this here like because it's not always clear but like what is the like like what is the thing this is trying to tell us it's kind of uh kind of fun to do now i will say uh changing gears a little bit this film is not even though I knew about it, knew what it was about, knew a lot about it, it was not what I expected it to be. And that's in part because of the title. Mm. The title is Kramer versus Kramer. I thought this was primarily going to be a movie about a custody battle between two parents because mm-hmm. it's set up that way. Now, it is that movie in the last 35 minutes. But I was surprised how the first 70 minutes of this movie are very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or, or excuse me, are, are about something that leads up to that. But I thought the case was going to be the centerpiece of the movie. Um, but again, this comes down to editing in terms of storytelling too. Like um, I'm surprised by how little Joanna is in the film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and part, part of this is because it's Meryl Streep. And I realized Meryl Streep wasn't in all caps, Meryl Streep back then. <laughs> this yeah. is her becoming that in some ways, but it like I was shocked when she left. And then I was like, Oh, we're not going to see her for, close to an hour yeah. we're not going to really see her in this movie um and uh it's interesting how little we get of her story as well um and this gets into i think like um i think in the ebert review of this at the time he talks about how this is not a movie that takes sides and i thought well that's a strange thing to say because this is a movie which decidedly has a point of view um now it doesn't necessarily eventually villainize the other side but this definitely this is not a and this is where i think i would compare it with a separation a little bit where uh, i feel like a separation is a movie that that is really difficult for me to think like i don't even know what i want to have happen this Mm. movie tells me what it wants to have happen um and and kind of wants and does everything it can to bring me alongside that well you know i think part of uh you're right it's it is surprising the way joanna disappears um and it is a little bit parallel to a separation in that respect where the wife drops out for, for for quite a while, but I also think that's one of the ways in which the film is very much of 1979. Because what does Joanna do? She goes to California to find herself, um, and and that is one of the ways in which I think the film very much reflects that cultural moment. This whole notion that um, it was kind of in some ways the the mainstreaming of the hippie movement where. Uh, now people in midlife or approaching midlife start talking about the need to get in touch with their inner selves and figure out who they are. So there's a sense in which I think Benton is kind of playing into 
a little bit of a, a little bit of a cultural cliche there that you know you've got to go away to figure out who who you are. But at the same time, I don't want to be unfair to the fact that that is in fact a a legitimate theme of the film, and that is people trying to discover who they are and what that means about their relationship with, uh, with, with others. So yeah, I was surprised that she went away because it's, but, but in some way that's because the film is really, um, I mean, it's about a number of different things. And one of the things it's about is Ted figuring out what it actually means to be, uh, to be a parent and Ted figuring out, I mean, normally the life work balance is the dilemma for the woman, but this film turns the life work balance into a dilemma for the man, which actually is pretty progressive for 1979. Um, that that that's sort of out on on, on the cutting edge. You didn't have many uh, or any uh, stay at home fathers at this point. So even the idea that somebody like Ted should compromise his career in order to put time into his kid that's that's pretty out there. Okay, well, this is something I wanted to talk about because the other I'm going to tangent off that a little bit. The other movie this reminds me of in a weird way. Same actor is Tootsie. Yeah, yeah. Hoffman has a very interesting late seventies, early eighties, mm. where he's basically in these two movies showing like, let me show you what it's like to be a woman. And if you think yeah. about it, in like like you said in seventy nine or eighty two, it's like, well, that's a really interesting take because we're kind of gender swapping some of these things through twenty twenty three eyes. It's like what a weird avatar for this is what the woman's experience is. Like like you wouldn't do that now. You wouldn't be like, well, if we want to show what the struggles like, we have to have a man do it because yeah, that right. will really that will really <laughs> highlight it. But you're right that th and that's why like I I'm not that's why I would say I don't think this is bad, but it is very 1979. It's like well you wouldn't you wouldn't do that now. Uh, but it is interesting that Hoffman is basically back to back in these two um, highly acclaimed movies where he's like, let me show you what it's like to be a woman, which also kind of fits with my sense of Dustin Hoffman as a person to be like, let me be the one to show you what this thing is, even if I'm not that. <laughs> so maybe, maybe that's a light critique of, of Hoffman um, at the same time. Now, what's interesting about uh, about the fact that that Joanna her we don't get that we don't get much of like why she leaves early in the movie we're going to get a little bit more of that later but even even with that like to your point because it's this kind of cultural cliche um and cliches are based often in in, in kinds of realities it's like i felt like this movie assumed oh you know why people do this so we're not going to bother to tell you and that's where my distance from it felt a little bit like, well, that seems strange that you're not going to tell this person's story or give an explanation. So I think in um, in 1979 eyes, her leaving without with the explanation that we get serves to maybe lightly villainize her in the movie. Yeah. Um, you know, because Ted gets that hammer line to Margaret of how much courage does it take to walk out on your kid? And that's right. the end of a scene to be like, okay, so, but when I watched it this time, it actually felt, I felt more like it made me a little bit, um, antagonistic towards the storyteller to say like, oh, I can see you're making a choice here. And I don't know how I, and, and again, that's not, that's not a bad thing, but that's, that's, how I would read a movie now to be like, oh, okay, where where are the silences in this movie? It's interesting that I'm going to spend the next hour with Ted and look at how this affects his life, but I'm not going to see how Ted affected her life. Um, I'm only going to have to make assumptions about that, or the movie's going to assume that I know that, and I'm going to little get a little bit more at the end. It's just more of the um, how the structure of the movie sets you up with this. Now, once once we get into the second act, and it's Ted and Billy. I'm not worried so much about that because now it's like, this is, this is the story they want to tell. And I want to give them that, like um, the tension I have here. And we've talked about this before is like, because I want a movie to be something that's not a critique of the movie, right? The right. movie is what it is, but, but it, it is an interesting piece of storytelling that she's kind of pushed out of this. Now, here's a question I have for you. Uh, the 1977 novel Kramer versus Kramer was also a bestseller. I'm assuming you haven't read this book. That is correct. Okay, I read it this weekend because I was really curious. Mm. I was curious what this novel, what this novel was like, um, and I will say it gives more backstory to Joanna, but is in some ways harsher on Joanna. Actually, in lots of ways harsher on Joanna mm -hmm. by explaining more about her. I think Avery Corman, the author of this novel, 
um, has even more of an agenda. So I think this movie is a softening of the Corman novel, um, uh, probably by Benton a little bit, but definitely a lot by Streep. Famously, Streep only agreed to do this if she could make the Joanna character more sympathetic. She is less so in the novel. Um, for example, in the novel, she's kind of set up as a like a spoiled princess almost, like by her family, like she's sort of gotten everything. Ted is a pretty attentive father even before she leaves. Like he's just sort of a good dad. And it's more that she's bored with being a housewife. And so 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 there is less of this sense of like, okay, this is not a real partnership. This is a bad marriage. It's really set up differently that way. Um, but Streep, again, in order to take in order to take this role, she said, you have to let me, you know, so you have to let me alter this. So I think to the same degree that Hoffman improvised a lot of this it sounds like especially the sort of speech she gives at the trial is mostly Meryl Streep like she's writing that or creating that with Benton or something um my take on this movie I'm just going to throw this at this right now so I don't forget to say it later is this movie is made by Hoffman and um Justin Henry but I think it's saved by Meryl Streep I think if Streep wasn't as good as she is if Streep doesn't create that character because by the end you do have some feeling about her in some kinds of ways. I don't know that that was there in the, it's definitely not there in the novel in the same way. I'm not sure it was there in the original script, but it seems like Streep is bringing a lot to that. Yeah. I'm glad you did that homework, Sam, because that really, I, I have read that she humanized the role that she made a, a change to the character, but I didn't know exactly how. So you've done a nice job of suggesting that. And yeah, I heard that even, even from the screenplay, there were things that she did that made uh, Joanna more sympathetic. Um, as you probably know, Streep was originally offered the role of Phyllis, uh, which would have been a very... Imagine the other actors that they offered the role to before Streep. Um, Jane Fonda, Faye Dunaway, Ally McGraw. I mean, you know, one of the things that strikes me as we talk about these films is how... I mean, this this comes up a lot in Hollywood casting. How, how often the person that ends up in the role just seems perfect for the role... And then you read about who they offered it to beforehand. You think, what a kind of film would that have been? So even though Hoffman was the uh, the first choice all along, he kept turning them down, right? So they went through James Caan, Al Pacino, John Voight. And I, I, I can't imagine any, I mean, of those three, maybe, maybe John Voight. I don't know. But um, somehow I can't imagine anybody but Meryl Streep you know, pulling off Joanna. The others are fine actors, but they're they're not. They don't have, I don't think, the kind of vulnerability that Streep uh, is able to exhibit and strength yeah. at the same time. Well, and the fact that she was she had not been in much prior to that. I mean, she was in the Deer Hunter. She was in a few things, but she was not the person. Like I said, she was not like the icon Meryl right. Streep who gets nominated for everything. You know, this is the beginning of an amazing career. And uh, and you see, but you kind of see it almost all there. It's like yeah, exactly. fully formed acting genius right there. Yeah, yeah, and I think yeah, I think it's not. Yeah, I think it's after this that she does French Lieutenant's Woman, and then Sophie's Choice, and mm -hmm. she's off and running. Absolutely. So, so um, anything you want to say about the middle chunk before we get to the the sort of third act? Are there any other moments in there that we didn't talk about? Um. I guess I guess the the, the main the main thing I want to say about the the middle piece is just um, it's in, it's interesting. I I mentioned this really earlier to the, the way the film uses um, a kind of classical music. It uses a, a there's a couple of different classical musical pieces by Henry Purcell, uh, and it uses the uh, the sonata in D for strumpet strumpet for trumpet and strings, and it, it, I, it it's again it's part of the way. Um, the film is structured and you know you talked about that long middle act and it is it is a long middle act but i actually saw it divided up into very specific little pieces um where you know uh, you get eight months later and then you get uh 15 months later and and then when you get to the courtroom scene it's 18 months later and each of those is kind of punctuated by the reversion to the purcell theme and then I have to say this now, or I'll forget otherwise. The the last piece of Purcell that they play um before the denouement is called The Gordian Knot Untied, hmm. which I think is a really interesting commentary on how they try to resolve 
uh, this the situation. So so mostly I'm just interested in, in the way we don't often talk a lot about music in the podcast, but to me, um, the the music is a really big part of creating uh, a kind of rhythm and even a kind of mood because I I could imagine. Um, you know, the Purcell stuff, it's it's kind of upbeat. Um, and so there's something about that, I think, that kind of carries you through emotionally. I'm glad you say that because that's the kind of stuff I don't pick up on. Um, but but in 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 hearing you say that, it's like I do. That is true. I Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, the other thing I would say about this, this middle chunk, you know, thinking about Justin Henry and Dustin Hoffman is so much of this is. Um, how do you explain complicated things to a small child? Um, and, and that's so much of their, so like, how do you explain, um, in a attempting to be generous way, like why his mother is not there? How do you explain, um, what a, I mean, this is later, but like what a judge is and why, what the judge does is okay. And, um, you know, like, like I, I find that to be really, again, that's, it's, it's naturalistic and real, you know, like, like this is. How do I explain this in a way that's not going to scare you? That's not going to, but that's going to kind of introduce you to the world in a softer way. Uh, and I find that stuff really effective and moving. There are there are uh, two other things I do want to mention about the middle section as I reflect on it. One is, and again, this is part of the um, the really well well designed structure of, of of the screenplay because while you have the whole development of Billy and Ted's relationship, you have two other relationships going on at the same time. You have Ted and Margaret, um, and they have a, that scene in the, um, they have a, when they have a conversation at the playground, the second one, or maybe it's the first one before Billy falls. Um, it reminded me very much of a conversation in scenes from a marriage where they talk about, you know, missing their exes all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's really, and you see Margaret on a very different kind of arc is, you know, at the end, she talks about her husband, her ex-husband wants to get back together and she's sure it's not going to work, but they'll try it anyway. So I think the Ted Margaret relationship, um, you know, you talked about Ted and Billy becoming roommates. And one of the things which is really subtle in this film, but I think is really interesting is Ted and Margaret become friends without becoming lovers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's of course, you know, one of those debates, can men and women be friends and not and not romantically involved? And the fact that Ted is able to do that with her, and kind of, I, I think is, and she with him, I think that's, re- there's a really remarkable arc there. The other relationship, of course, that completely falls apart in the middle part of the film is Ted's relationship with the boss. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, that's one you see coming. And, 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 and this is, this is all part of Ted, not only becoming a responsible parent, but becoming a more integrated human being, right? Because the idea is, Oh, you know, he tells the boss at the beginning, no problem. You know, nothing I do at home is going to have anything to do with work. And of course he realizes that that's not, that's not possible. And then, you know, he makes his sacrifice by taking that job for less money just so he can say he has a job when he goes into in, into the courtroom. So I think, again, so Benton is balancing like three or four different arcs at the same time that are kind of intersecting or running parallel, and that just works really well. So then we get to the the, the final act of this, this movie, which is about 30, 35 minutes of the movie. We get the rot- return of Joanna. Um, we get the cafe scene, um, which uh, is, is I think, really interesting because I feel like at first Ted Ted walks into that room thinking, are we going to get back together? Or have you like have you like had your 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 kind of quest and journey and now you're back and we're going to be back together or where we end up with, you know, finding out that that she's, you know, finds herself in a good place and that she wants her son. Uh, she wants her son back. Um, and then it's punctuated by Ted throwing the wine glass against the wall. Um, and uh, apparently this is something that um, Streep was not aware was going to happen. And this is, this is another, you know, this is Hoffman messing with her a little bit. Um, and uh yeah, so 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 what you see on her face is some pretty genuine terror, uh, and again, I think that that sort of mythology plays a little bit differently in '79 than it does today. You know, the the there's lots of stories of of Hoffman bad behavior on the set here. You know, um, 
framed around i want to try to get a, a better performance out of her but i always wonder with some of that stuff is like is that necessary or is that is that you just sort of flexing on somebody that you have some power over you know yeah yeah he um he evidently told the cameraman ahead of time he was going to do it but yeah he didn't tell her and uh, she ended up with glass in her hair um and she did say i love this kind of deadpan she did say did say next time you do that i appreciate you letting me know um but yeah evidently in line with his with his method acting evidently he he did um treat her quite badly she was coming off um uh the death of her fiance uh and so she was in a pretty emotionally vulnerable place as well and so i i don't think they uh i don't think they became friends as a result of working together uh, and then we have Ted meeting with the lawyer, uh, where he does the. Uh, it, it's a, it's a great scene, the the pro and con list, um, mm-hmm. because because he all you see him write are cons. You know, yeah, he writes yeah. money, no privacy, work affected, uh, no social life, no let up, and then he goes and holds Billy while he's sleeping, and it's like, well, there's there's your pro. It's like, but this is life, and this is him, and this is this is the person that I love. Um, yeah, that that's just it's just a great moment because because he is sort of saying my life has changed. Here's all the ways my life has changed, but I still want this over that over what I had. And it demonstrates that a pro con list is not always a very good way to make a decision because um, it's not it's not a matter of numbers. It's a matter of weight. Uh, and so that one element obviously outweighs everything else. And it's also it's also a a, a very brief primer on what it means to be a parent. Um, I mean, if you line up all the pros and cons, there's a heck of a lot of cons to being a parent. He's kind of got them there, but that's not why you do it. So then we get to the courtroom and we basically get each of them getting to make a speech, uh, you know, and the, they, they, they take the advantage of their, um, their attorney questioning them to kind of make their statements. Um, and then, and then we get the cross-examination, uh, to try to, you know, poke some holes in that. And I feel like in both cases, I'm not sure how strong the cross-examination is, even though we're, we're told that, that these are people going for the throat. It's like, I don't know that that's, that those are the best, the best sort of arguments against them. Uh, but we start with, with Joanna's uh, testimony. I mean, she talks about being, um, this is where we get the most backstory we're going to get. She talks about being unhappy in, in her marriage, having no self-esteem um, that in therapy, she realizes that she's not a terrible person. Um, she wor- has worked hard to become a whole human being, which is interesting because, because to your point, that's what Ted is doing too, in a different direction, you know, be, mm-hmm. you know, finding other aspects, um, of his life. Um, uh, and then, um, we, in the cross-examination, we get the, the, all the questionship questions about like, is anything in your life permanent? And, mm-hmm. um, were you a failure at, you were a failure at the most important relationship in your life. Um, but here's where we're getting the, um, here's where we're getting the sort of one of the main arguments of the book and the movie having to do with like, should, should motherhood trump fatherhood when it comes right. to custody? I mean, this is the, if there is an issue at the center of this, that this movie wants to poke at, that's the issue. And, and and I think it's one you know one of the one of my frustrations as I watched and and I I said to my wife afterwards so was joint custody not a thing in '79 it was um, you know it's like I, I felt like there's this big hole here it's like you've you've set up this dichotomy and there is another path and she said I didn't do any research on it she said I don't think it was but then I did read that. Some of the contemporary reviews, there were a couple of ways in which they took the movie to task for the judicial process. And one of the ones was that the film didn't explore the idea of joint custody. Um, and they also said that the, the courtroom the scene didn't really reflect some of the most contemporary methods where there would have been psychological evaluations uh, requested for each of the parents. But I, I think Benton is well aware of that. I, I think that joint custody would, it wasn't the re, the resolution he was going for. Um, because, and I'm going to say this, Sam, one of my criticisms of the film is that it does have its cake and eat it too in a way that joint custody wouldn't achieve. Because what what you get is you get as the lawyer says, the judge goes from motherhood all the way down the line. So 
Joanna quote wins, but then she basically, in order to demonstrate her growth as a person, her generosity as a person, she enables Ted to win. And I guess for Benton, joint custody wouldn't have done that. He wanted, like I said, he wanted one, he wanted both of them to win, but he also ultimately wanted her to lose. Right. And I, I think I think part of this is Avery Corman potentially too wanting to like like wanting to create it because the point of that movie really like like or excuse me, the point of the book and, and the movie to a certain degree is to point out this idea of um uh men having rights as well, right? So like I feel like this is a movie if you wanted to read it generously. My wife and I talked about this movie a lot because she had watched it recently and she had a more generous reading of it than i did initially and the more we talked about it the more i feel like we both kind of came towards each other with this you know if you want to read this movie generously you can if you want to read this movie ungenerously you can as well um and i uh i think i think corman was was very much uh attacking kind of uh you know equal rights amendment uh women's lib type stuff from the 70s like like this is a movie that's really kind of or excuse me it's a book that's kind of backlashing against that a little bit more and there's a little bit more pointed language in the book um about that so i think he for that he needs the all or nothing stakes of this so if you have if there is a middle ground it kind of undercuts the whole argument yeah, and so yeah, and and, that, and that's another contrast I will make between this film and a separation. Um, two 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 contrasts. That one in that this is a movie that I think definitely does take sides uh, in a way that a separation doesn't. Uh, and then also I would say, um, secondly, um, this is a movie in which the characters change in ways that they don't exactly change in the separation. You know, one of the things we pointed about, about out about a separation is that really the, the mother and the father are kind of at the same place at the end of the film that they are at the beginning, whereas in this film you see clear changes in both of those characters. So it's kind of hard for me to balance, right? On the one hand, I'm, I'm, I'm satisfied by or happy to see characters make an arc. On the other hand, I'm a little frustrated that, uh, in a sense, Dustin Hoffman or Ted wins. Mm-hmm. So we, when we get to Ted's testimony, um, he gets a much longer speech. I mean, this is a, this is a, I didn't time it, but this is a significantly long speech that he gives. It's as almost as if he's giving the closing statements on the trial, but he's, he's on the stand. He's not the, I mean, this is, this should be in the mouth of the attorney, but instead it's in the mouth of Ted uh, to a certain degree, which narratively makes sense for the movie because he's explaining the things he's learned. He's laying out the, the thesis of the film, this idea that we're talking about in terms of like, why is motherhood in the, in the eyes of the court, this thing, which automatically trumps, Mm -hmm. uh, Trump's fatherhood. Um, his cross, the cross examination of him is also strange that it's about how he can't keep a job, even though he has a job Mm -hmm. and his, and his explanation for why he gets paid less is because I care for my son more, but somehow that seemed like, well, nobody would pay it. It's like, I don't know. I like that. That's, that's one of those things too. And, you know, and the other thing is Billy's accident, which is like kids have accidents. Like, I, I just don't know that that's like, that that would hold up as this, as this major thing. Uh, mm-hmm. But, but, but that's them going for the throat, which is, which is a little like, there's probably more you could say. Yes. Yes. You know. <laughs> um, so then we get to the ending of the movie. So, so I guess what I want to ask is like, do you feel, um, satisfied with the end of the movie so so joanna wins custody she comes to pick up billy and then they have this conversation in the lobby and she decides she's not going to take them that billy has a home with ted um and then she's going to go up and see them and they have this this last moment where they're kind of talking as she's in the elevator she asks how she looks and he says terrific and then we cut the black um how do you feel about that as the end of this movie well, before I comment on that, I want to back up one minute, Sam, and just notice that or note that Ted refuses to go for the jugular and put Billy on the stand and make mm-hmm. Billy yes. make Billy make a choice, which is very different, again, from a separation where the parents kind of selfishly put the daughter in the situation of making the choice. Um, I mean, okay, okay I, th- I think there's two ways to look at the ending, um, which is an evasive answer. One one way to look at the ending is, um, as I said earlier, that Ted wins and 
this is Meryl Streep, this is Joanne going up to say kind of goodbye. It's like, you know, I, I, I tried on this notion that I'm going to be have custody. I've tried it on for size. I've decided that's too selfish and I'm going to kind of, you know, say goodbye. The other way to take it is that um, without having a legal a legal ruling of joint custody, this opens up the possibility for an ongoing relationship that is, in fact, um, uh, a, a kind of restoration of her motherhood without her him necessarily living living with her. I think either option is is possible. Um, but again, I I guess I come back to the feeling that. There, there could have been a way to resolve it that wouldn't have simply meant Ted wins, but would have showed a clearer picture of now they're ready. If they're not ready to be husband and wife again, they're ready to at least co-parent. And right. I think the film um, fudges that a little bit. Yeah, I also wonder, you know, and this is this is the February 3rd problem. Like, I wonder, does she go up in that elevator, go into that apartment, see Billy and then change her mind again and say, actually, I, I need him. I want him. Like I don't know. Like, but that's great. Actually, I kind of like that. I kind of like the idea of like we're not given. We're given all of the definitive answers if we want to read it that way. But if we want to read it another way, like, well, we actually don't know what happens when she goes up there because all they've had is a conversation with each other. Which, um, you know, again, put that before a judge if you want and see what happens. You know, it's it's because she's already given him up before you know, and said he should. So, 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 you know, I think, and I, and I don't mean that as an uncharitable reading of her. I mean, that as like, she's in a deeply emotional moment right now, trying to figure out what is, what is best and what is right. So, so I, I do sort of like the, 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 that she goes up in that elevator and we're left to sort of wonder, well, what does the rest of Billy's life look like? What does the rest of Billy's day look like for that matter? You know, you know, and I, and I think, I, I think a, a more okay, let me let me try a more sympathetic reading of this film as a men's lib film, which is another way of thinking about it. I was I was going back to the beginning of the film and thinking about um, what it is that Ted says at the beginning when um, when he feels attacked for focusing on his work, and and he he says you know basically you know, pardon me for making a living. Somebody has to bring home the bacon. He says that he says that twice. Mm -hmm. So I do think that one of the ways in which the film is important in that sense and, and why it wants to assert the value of fatherhood is that he discovers by the end that there's a lot more to being a father, to being a parent than just, quote, bringing home the bacon. So I do I, I do appreciate that element of, of, of the ending. And I do appreciate the fact that he is willing to give up the fight uh, because that's what ultimately will benefit Billy and not not himself. So that part is very satisfying. Well, and I do love the scene where he's talking with Billy about the ruling, and he is like, even though I have lost, and I'm like, I'm not going to bring this to him to be like, isn't this awful? He's like, well, this is what the judge said, and the and it's going to be great there, and you're going to have your yeah. bed there, and you're going to have your like, like that that he is not angry. I mean, he's maybe internally torn up inside but the face that he gives to billy is like this is going to be okay and i'm going to see you and like we're everything's going to be okay that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie yeah. because like he's doing what he's that's maybe some of his best parenting yes yeah that's the evidence of its growth for sure yeah yeah anything else you want to say about this movie uh just a shout out to the cinematographer it's uh nestor almendros um, he collaborated, uh, he was a Spanish uh, uh, cinematographer who worked a lot in France. He collaborated with uh, Francois Truffaut, who was the original choice to direct the film. Uh, also, he worked with Eric Romer, um, got an Oscar for this film, was nominated three other times, including for Sophie's Choice. So he worked again with Meryl Streep. So Benton just really wants to work with Truffaut because he tried to get Truffaut to direct Bonnie and Clyde too. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> so, but Truffaut's the one who told Benton you should just direct it, and yes, then he wins yes. the Oscar. So, uh, good, good call on that. Uh, Barrett, what do you have for us for next week? Well, next week we will be on the very cusp of Christmas, and so um, uh, our listeners may have favorite Christmas films. They may be revisiting Christmas Story or Elf or perhaps Die Hard, which. I plan to watch for the first time this Christmas. Um, so I want to do a classic 1945 Christmas in Connecticut with uh, with Barbara Stanwyck. Um, Fantastic. I will say this is a movie I have only heard of. I don't uh, 
I don't know anything about this, so I'm very excited. Um, so this 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 episode that episode will come out one day late. That we're going to drop that on Christmas Day because we already have a Christmas Eve episode coming out of something else. So um, Barrett, thank you so much for recommending Kramer versus Kramer for having this conversation. I think this is a worthwhile movie to watch. I think it's the acting is amazing. I think it makes you ask ten thousand questions about 2023 and 1979 and humanity and life and love and relationships. I think it's really great. So thank you for this conversation. That is all the time that we have, but we will be back on Christmas Day to talk about Christmas in Connecticut in the video store. Mm-hmm.